0: Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. One stop shop for all your boxing needs. My name is Wilton Henry and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Labelle Jackson. This week we have a pretty um, another short episode if you will. A few boxing events that took place yesterday. We're going to recap those bouts and then also there's a few upcoming bouts that we're going to review or preview. Um, I don't think we need really to get too much into any introductions. We got um, some things that we need to do. So I think those episodes, they're like the real short ones when we get straight to the point, I think those come out the best. So we're gonna start off with last night's bout that took place, um, I believe that was ESPN with Emmanuel Navarrete versus Chris Diaz. How did you guys uh, think Navarrete looked last night?
1: Yeah, I like this fight. I liked how Navarrete looked. Um, I like how he, you know, went to the body and and varied his punch schemes. Most importantly, I like how this fight ended. Uh, and I'll get to that later. Um, uh, Mario Navarrete, 32 and 1 with 27 knockouts. Um, currently a featherweight moved up from 122. Um, he has some wins over uh Ruben Villa Villa, and I saw the two wins over Isaac Dog Bay. when I first Really started getting into him. I was like, "Hmm, it's an impressive guy," and uh, I pretty I pretty much felt sorry for Dog Bay in those two fights, especially the second fight. Um, so he's fighting against Christopher Diaz, um, twenty six and two with sixteen knockouts, uh, five foot six with sixty four inch reach. How that comes into play is that Emmanuel Navarrete, while he's like an inch taller at five foot seven, he has a, a seventy two inch reach. Um, and Christopher Diaz, he has losses to, uh, of course, Shakur Stevenson and uh, Masayaku, Masayaku Ito. Um, I liked the fight. It was entertaining. Um, it, it, it looked pretty level in the first two rounds, and then it started heating up in the third round where Navarrete just started to take over and uh, pretty much uh, put up a dominated, dominating uh, performance. Um, he uh, put... Um, Diaz down with a, a good left left hand, left hook in the fourth round. Um, but I like that Diaz immediately got up and fought back. Uh, Diaz just seemed outgunned, but he he still was kind of like, it wasn't like just uh, Navarrete was just beating him down. Diaz was fighting back, and I like that he, that he did that, um, especially when the eighth round came along, and um, Navarrete had him seriously hurt, and I thought, that they were probably going to stop the fight. He knocked him down twice in that round. Um, While Diaz, you know, he was really, really hurt, but he he kept fighting back. And even in that last round, uh, what I like most about the last round, and I like this from Emmanuel Navarrete, and I like this from uh, Chris Diaz also, is that Diaz, normally in these fights, you know, um, when a man's down like that, they try to survive. And Diaz is like, no, I'm, if I'm going to go out, I'm going out on my shield, and I'm going to try to win. And normally when guys are winning fights like this, they try to, uh, well, I'm already winning. I try to stop the guy. It not it didn't really happen. Let me play it cool so I can get the win. Navarrete didn't do that neither. Because Diaz pressed the action and tried to, you know, go out on the shield. And Navarrete played with him and said, yeah, I'll, hey, I'm going to stop the fight. And he uh, – it was a pretty much uh, dramatic stoppage, you know, it was, I think it was like a minute left in that, in that fight. So I, I definitely liked that, that 12th round the most, uh, very entertaining. Felt like I got, you know, my time's worth that I spent watching it. Um, and plus I also like where Navarrete sits, you know, he's in the featherweight uh, division. Uh, you know, you have guys like um, Gary Russell Jr. And I think, even matching him up with someone like Leo Santa Cruz uh, will be very, very, a very, very entertaining fight. I would like that fight also. So, uh, Mario Neferete, he has a lot of uh, options. He's heating up as a as a fighter in the featherweight division. I've also heard talk of a moving up to one thirty. I don't. I think that's a bad idea. I think he should stay at one twenty six right now and um, and get those good fights there. Yep, it's
0: a real good matchup yesterday. Christopher Diaz showed tons of heart last night. And I was really impressed with him um, as I checked out the action. As you stated, like the first two rounds, uh, from what I noted, it was like really close. And then I think it was around the third round when Navarrete started landing those unprofessors, long left uppercuts. And he carried like a lot of the middle round action just based on like his volume of punching, but he really throws some of those unorthodox shots, like that leaping left hook. That's pretty much like his signature shot. And he dropped Diaz in a fourth. He kind of fainted with the right hand. And then, like I said, he landed that sh- signature uh, left lunging uppercut that dropped him. Diaz was, um, was, was real game though. You know what I mean? He had like a, some success. I recall like in the sixth round, um, he would start to back Navarrete up and that's what I noticed also is that it's two areas where Navarrete is very vulnerable. And that's going to be like really on the inside. And then also if you can back him up. By the time you made it around to the eighth round, that's when uh, Navarrete started really putting on Diaz. But like I said, Diaz was so game that he stuck in there. And he wasn't just going to quit or lay down. He was going to go out on the shield. So it was real impressive on both ends. Kind of um, Navarrete kind of reminds me of Rochelle a little bit. You know what I mean? The way he... To me, he's never going to be in a bad fight. He's awkward. He runs in there, um, but that's another problem though, too. Is that the way he fights? I think somebody who's really technically sound they can run him into some shots. Um, in this fight, as far as the I mean, there's a lot of action in this fight, man. You wouldn't if you haven't seen this fight, you won't be disappointed if you check it out. It was 547 or 74. Um, total shots thrown by Navarrete, he landed 241, 42% accuracy. And then Diaz on the other hand, he threw 526 shots, landed 171 of them at a 33% clip. He was not as accurate as Navarrete, and he wasn't throwing as many shots. And he wasn't necessarily um, doing as much damage as Navarrete when Navarrete landed on him. Now, as far as where he goes from here, less optimistic in terms of what he's going to be able to do or what his ceiling is because at 126 i would say he's probably about maybe the fifth sixth best fighter at that weight class and i don't see that would be a horrible matchup for him against um gary russell i think gary russell will just sit in that pocket and you know he'll be at a distance where it just wouldn't be good for Nat Renson, and then I also don't like him if he, if he tries to move up and he fights your course, Stevens. So I don't think that that would bode well for him either. But it was a good win yesterday, wasn't disappointed in the match. Um, but we'll see where he goes from here.
2: You guys did a good job of, of bringing it down as always, so I don't have much to add. I'll just say that, um, he he looked like a big 126 coming into the, you know, in the ring. And, and, you know, so in, in theory, just off the strength of the weight alone, um, you know, if he decided to move up, that option is there, but um, I'll get into that in a second. Um, But yeah, he, he had kind of that awkward style that that worked when he wanted it to work. Um, I I gave him pretty much every round, but that kind of does injustice to, to the heart that Diaz showed because he was game. You know, like you know, outside of the the knockdowns and and the eventual stoppage, he was game. He didn't stop coming. It's just that he just didn't throw enough, and his shots weren't as effective. And it, there wasn't really much he could do when, when, when Navarrete started to throw those those awkward, like that uppercut that you know the the announcement the, the commentators were talking about, going into the fight, uh, so like that kind of kind of had him at bay. He kept him at bay. Um, I'm kind of on on your your side will in terms of the you know where he goes from here because not only would the Russell fight not be good for him, but Russell just isn't very active in terms of, like as a fighter he doesn't fight often uh, both him and Santa Cruz are PBC fight uh, fighters and so uh, we've seen that you know if if the fight if they want to fight bad enough, they'll make it happen. But I don't see this being a fight that, that Heyman will want bad enough to where he would, he would put one of those guys in the ring with, with Navarrete. Um, the only fight that I can see happening for him next at 126 right now is if – because Santa Cruz has had that belt at 126 but hasn't fought at 126 in a while, uh, if I recall correctly. And so if he were to have to vacate that and that secondary champ were to move up, I believe his name is Z- Zucan, Zucan, that would make for a fun fight. But um yeah, Shakur did call him out if he decided to move up and so that fight would be there. I, I wouldn't recommend that if I was his management. And uh, Jamel Herring is there too, but I just he looked like a big one twenty six, but I don't I don't like I don't like his chance at the weight class either. So um uh, but you know he's a good fighter. He's he's had some good fights, he did he did very well that night as well. So in that undercard, the exciting prospect Edgar Berlinga, um, you know, he's had his, his 16 fight first round knockout streak. Uh, he put it to the test against uh, the veteran Damon Nicholson. Did you guys see that? And how did you see that one going?
0: Yeah, so we got old Edgar uh, Berlinga, as you stated, with 16 0 and 16 KOs entered to the fight, 6 1 um, with a 73 inch reach, and he's a 23 year old young man. Um, Nicholson, on the other end, is 28 years old. 22, three, or 23, three and one with 20 KOs entering into the fight. Um, and he's out of not too far from here. Lowell, Maryland, um, Nicholson on one hand, his like notable fights or notable guys that are on his resume is Jesse Hart in which he lost the decision, I believe to Jesse. And then also Steve Walls, who fought Triple G Berlinga, as stated um, came into the fight with 16, not only just 16 KOs, but they were all in the first round. And Nicholson was on a five-fight five win streak. Now, as the fight uh, played out, obviously Nicholson was the first guy to enter the second round after he made it out of the first. But then Berlinga knocked him down four times in the fight, um, in the second, third, and then in the final seconds of the fight, which was probably the hardest shot of the fight. But once Nicholson got up the bell ring, Pretty much save him. So I thought it was really, as I looked at the fight with Berlanga, being um, that he increased his opposition for this fight. I think that it's it's things that he got out of this, right. So, so what did he do, right? So he beat a a solid trial horse um, type of opponent. Nicholson is a real sturdy, solid guy, and um, so to me, what he got out of it, he did. You know, this is that type of fight where. Like I said, it's beneficial to a young lion like himself. So he got rounds in. Um, he even showed that he could take a good shot you know, here and there. And then also, what I like about it what, it, what else I think he got out of it, is that it showed that his power carries throughout the course of a fight. So those are all good things. And so what the constructive result can be is that he go back you know, to the gym and work on the areas where he's deficient. He knows that he can go 12. He knows that he has that power throughout the fight. And then he can build on this victory here. I think that victory that he has over DeMond Nicholson probably is more beneficial to him than all of those other fights that he had put together. So I just thought it was a good win um, for him, too, and he got a lot of good stuff on him.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I gave all those rounds to him, but I thought they were good. Um, it, it seemed like although, although Nicholson was looking to just survive a lot of those, a lot of that fight, he did find success here and there. Uh, he would do this thing where he would get 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 Berlanga to to kind of follow him around the ring, and then he would kind of set up something of his own. The problem is, he would catch shots back with that. Um, I did like that this did go all all eight rounds, and and so uh, not only did we get to see what that would look like, but um, but Ber- Ber- as, as fans, but Berlanga did as well. He kind of learned some stuff about himself, kind of on the job in that moment i also liked that um he doesn't seem to have too big of an ego at this phase of his career um like at the end of the fight he was making he, he wasn't making any kind of bull call out saying like i want canelo or you know whatever that could be a super middleweight he seemed pretty humble and and kind of like self-aware in the post-fight interview i thought um The two things I was going to say that he needed to work on, which was, I thought, like footwork and to a lesser extent, the stamina, like which was fine. But, you know, as he moves up and has longer fights against uh, more veteran opponents with maybe with with better motors, he would need to work on that. But he had already addressed those things in the postfire interview saying he wanted to work on those. Um, Now, during the fight, they mentioned potentially him against Jesse Hart because Jesse Hart had, uh, had knocked out Nicholson in the second round when they fought uh after after watching him fight uh, his first full fight i would say that's a bit risky if i was his manager i would probably put him against probably like against a different version of or a similar version of, of Nicholson, or someone with a similar pedigree um i say that because you know he's 23 he's still a prospect you know he looked good but he's still a prospect and he'll probably fight four times this year he's this is already his second fight is reasonable to assume he'll probably fight at least two more times I don't think there's no need to rush him at this point in his career. And so for him to get more rounds in, you know, go to camp, uh, get back in the gym, work on the things that he learned about himself and then see how it, see how he fares against a similar opponent. If I were, you know, if I were managing, that would be the best way to go. But, and I also, to to your point, Will, you also said that, you know, he was able to take some shots too. I noticed that as well. And so, um, you know, I still think the guy has a bright future. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does.
1: Both of you guys uh, make some some outstanding points. Um, yeah, I, I was very happy that to see Berlinga go some rounds because you learn more about a fighter when you see how they you know react. Um, and with punchers like Berlinga, um, they they normally struggle with two two type or two things or two types of fighters as their career progress. Is either guys who can take their punches and provide a resistance coming back, and they also struggle. They also tend to have stamina issues, you know, as a fight progresses. You know that the power may go away, or they just may just totally like you know crash in terms of energy. We saw that again with, uh, of course, Mike Tyson on a large scale when he start. You know, Buster Douglas put up a, uh, you know, put up a fight against him, and also. Uh, with someone like Evander Holyfield who can pretty much take it and dish it and, you know, tend to have some stamina in some fights. Um, so Berlinga, I think it was good for him to, 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 we even saw stretches during the fight with Nicholson where um, he kind of took his foot off the gas a little bit. It was like certain minutes where he, I don't know if he was tired when I was trying to catch his breath, but it was good, even though, um, you know, it, it could be, Interpreted as him being tired, it's good to, to have him take those breaks and say, "Hey, look, I'm gonna pace myself." This and he and he still did try to go for the stoppage, and you know, and even in the last round, so it was uh, a good learning experience for him. Um, I like his you know his timing and and, and counter punching ability. Um, he he was placing shots nicely against Nicholson. I, I like Nicholson's. Uh, Hart, you know Nicholson. I mean, he, he he tried to survive, but he pulled it out. Whatever gameplay he had, he he made, he made himself last to the end, and you know uh, was given uh, Berlanga something that that some looks that he probably haven't you know seen uh, in a in a professional ring. And you brought up then he brought up Jesse uh, Jesse Hart. Uh, yeah, I think that's a horrible fight for him. I think Jesse would be too big for him at this point. As uh, as far as you know stature and a little bit of size because I think uh, Jesse Hart is now pretty much a light heavyweight, you know. And I wouldn't fancy that fighting with uh, Ecker Brown. This Ecker Belanga, I think he needs a little bit more experience, a little bit more hard fights before you put him in there with somebody who's gonna you know take him that distance. If, if you want someone to take him a distance, you want to make sure there's not that ha- puts him at risk, also. But you know. It's a good fight. Uh, it was good to see Berlinga get those rounds in.
0: Yeah, It's one, a couple things. One, yeah, no, he's not there. He's not that type of caliber of fighter right now to just be fast-tracking to a Jesse Hart. No, right now, you just went eight rounds. You got some rounds in for the first time. Go ahead and get you another sturdy opponent. Maybe a sturdy opponent or two. And then once you start to be able to you know, get those guys out of there and also formulate a game plan. Like, he really – all he does is wing punches. Like, that's it right now. He doesn't really have a strategy. I can't really say what Edgar Berlinger does, like, his identity as a whole. So he needs to build that first. Then once you do that, maybe within a year or so, you might be able to handle the Jesse Hart. But there's no reason to put yourself in that type of jeopardy at this stage of your career. It's just too soon.
1: Great. So, moving right along, we have a lot of boxing coming on next week. A lot of interesting fights uh, next week and even in the uh, week after. Uh, one uh, I see is a light middleweight uh, bout against uh, Sebastian, the tower wing, towering fedura towering Inferno fedura and Jorge Cota. This is an interesting fight. Um, Sebastian Frindura, He's <laughs> he's six foot. Six, you know, six. He's listed six foot five and a half. Very tall guy. You know, um, he looks taller when he's in the ring with guys. He's sixteen and zero with uh, uh, eleven knockouts. Uh, and he'll be fighting Jorge uh, Cota, thirty and four with twenty seven knockouts. Uh, he's five eleven with a, a seventy three inch reach, as compared to uh, an eighty inch reach for Sebastian Fedora. As a prospect. I've seen Fedura on, on a few fights, um, but I do like that. Well, what, what, one of the things I do like about Fedura is that when you look at his record, a lot of guys he's he's faced up to this point, while they haven't been like like any names for someone that early in his career, he's fought a lot of guys with winning records. You know, usually normally they feed guys with losing records to guys like that. That said, I, I think. Fandura, he should win this fight, but at the same time, I see a lot of uh, things he needs to improve. And, and if he isn't careful, uh, he can be in a fight and, and possibly lose. The biggest thing I see, um, the issues I see with Fandura, you know, you have a guy who's you can basically look at the paper. He's six, six he has an 80 inch reach, but when you see him in the ring, he, he fights nothing like it. Like he, he fights on the inside, he dips his head low. Um, he's he's he, 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 he seems to have a decent engine. He fights almost like, I wouldn't even compare him to, to uh, someone like Paul Williams, because Paul Williams had abilities to fight at distance, and he would fight at distance at certain points, even though he liked him. And, and Paul Williams, in particular, will make a conscious decision to mix it up. Or even a, uh, um, Diego Corrales, even a Diego Corrales will make the conscious decision to mix it up. When I look at Sebastian Fedora, it seems like he that's the only way he fights. And, and at first I thought, you know, you shouldn't try to, if you're a trainer, you don't want to have to, you don't want to change a fighter. But at the same time, I, I saw a few of his fights and even Andre Ward mentioned it, that this guy needs to go back to the gym and work on, you know, fighting tall, and using that height and using that reach, you know. I don't see him throwing, you know, lots of jabs. Um, and, and and because he does that, he you know he ends up taking much lots of punishment. And he's in a division where you know you have guy like guys like ch- around like Charlo that can clip him. So um, when I look at this fight, Jorge Cota, he should be Jorge, Jorge Cota pretty, pretty slow. slow. You know, he had he throws um, wide punches. He's an awkward southpaw. You know, and he he has a wide stance, and that can use that and. and he, He'll, it'll be easy for him to get on that inside because Fedora doesn't really put up a, a, the type of defense that can keep a Coda at, at, at you know, so it'll be interesting fight. I still think um, Fedora should stop Coda. Uh, if you don't know Coda, he's famous for a knockout being knocked out uh, from uh, Jamel Charlo, which was like a highlight reel uh, when, when Charlo was trying to, you know, go Tony Harrison into a rematch. So, um, we we'll see if Fedora. I, I think Fedora should break Coda down and stop him late.
0: Well, if I just add a few things, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real brief. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to add in there is uh, when I looked at Fedora, he um, I began to take note with him when he beat Nathaniel Gallimore and Gallimore KO Banana Rosario and previously, and then Fedora, Fedora. I uh, ran through him in, like, six rounds. And I'm like, man, like, I didn't know a dude. He just looked like a tall, lanky guy, like, real flimsy. But with him, he's like a praying mantis. And when he's shooting all of these shots, he, he's so long that he's in range when you least expect him to be in range. And so that throws some guys off, and he has a high, high punch volume. So that's going to be the interesting thing. And me in this fight, Coda. Uh, me and Danny, we checked him out when he fought Erickson Lubin. Lubin, he was giving Lubin some some trouble a little bit. You know what I mean? It wasn't like Lubin was just walking through him, but then Lubin caught him with a nice left in the fourth, and then he put him away. So, and I don't know, I could be wrong, but when I looked at the eyes, I could have sworn Coda may have been favorite, but this may have been like a week or two ago. So I don't know what it is now, but he was favored in his fight. And I can kind of see why, because he's so awkward and he's seen it all. You know, he he's been in there with Antonio, uh, Marco Antonio, Rubio, Lubin, and um, Charlo. You know, so he also had a um, split decision. I don't know if that was Rosario as well, if that was Banana Rosario, but I saw he had a split decision, also a split decision loss, and I think it was because Banana's Rosario. So it's going to be an interesting fight based on the fact that I think Vendora is a lefty, which really doesn't matter with him because he's just throwing all of those punches. I would think, like, the likely outcome would be at some point that pressure that Fedora's is going to put on him. He's going to um, eventually catch up to him and he'll just be too much because Koda is kind of slow. You know what I mean? I think at some point he'll probably catch him and do away with him somewhere in the middle rounds. But I think Koda's a live dog though. Um, it's just going to another factor for him is being able to reach that tall guy. You know what I mean? And then even if he does clip him and get him hurt, will he have the ability to finish him off? But I'll lean towards Federer and uh, um, win in the middle rounds. And then also next week, you have my main man, Aries of the dream, Lara. He's going to be back in action against Thomas Cornflake LaMana uh, next week. What are you guys' thoughts on that? One?
2: So Lara is coming into this fight 27-3-3, three three, 15 knockouts. Cuban guy. Uh, 38 years old, 5'9", 75-inch reach. This is for a vacant secondary WBA middleweight belt. And this is going to be his first fight at middleweight. He last fought against Greg Vendetti or Deddy, um, in August of last year. He got a unanimous decision when there. Thomas Lamana, he's 34-1, and won, 12 knockouts. 29 years old, 6'1", 34-inch reach. He last beat Juan de Jesus and Angulo Gonzalez uh, with a uh, knockout win January 9th of this year. But before that, he lost to Brian Mendoza August of last year. He lost to Jorge Cota, actually, January of last year. He lost to Dusty Hernandez-Harrison, DMV guy, in September 2016. He lost to Antoine Douglas, another DMV guy in March of 2015. And he was coming off with two losses. And then they put him up against, you know, the guy that he beat last. And he was 22 and 14. And then Brian Mendoza, I'm sorry, not Brian Mendoza, um, the guy that he beat before uh, Gonzalez, Jorge Pimentel, he was 30 and 26. And so, you know, they basically built this, his, his management basically built his confidence back up after his two losses in 2020. And now he has a title fight against Ariaslandi Lara. Um, I think that I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not exactly sure what he did to earn this title fight because I checked the rankings. He wasn't very high up in the WBA rankings. Um, but I think it'll you know it it'll be kind of like a, a comeback fight a little bit for for Lara, and kind of for him to test the water at middleweight. Uh, at the age 38, I'm not sure what Lara's next play is going to be, so I'm not sure what this may be building him, him up for. I don't know if he's going to try to fight uh, at the championship level. Um, and when I say fight at the championship level, I mean, like, if he gets the, the belt, then he gets the belt. But is he going to try to fight a Triple G? Is he going to try to fight a Charlo? Is he going to try, try to fight a, a, a Andre? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, again, at 38, because, you know, his, his most recent opposition has shown me that he's not necessarily – Um, Well, I'm not going to say he's not necessarily going to be great because, you know, he did fight Castaño and fought to a draw in 2019. He did fight Jared Hurd in 2018. Um, I'm just not sure what he's looking to do uh, long term, but I do think that he should pretty much uh, be able to get some rounds in and and have a, a, a pretty sound unanimous decision victory with this fight here. Did you guys have anything for that one?
0: Yeah, you don't mind if I just say a few words, man. I just want to say this. Um, Lara, he has um, a pretty good, he must have a pretty good re- re- relationship and rapport with Al Heyman because, you know, from time to time, they give him these type of fights, two-faced, and you like, oh, who is this guy? He's fighting, you know, um, which is cool. But also, you do want to, um, It could be a couple of factors going on here, right? You got the fact that, Laura is testing his waters at middleweight, so he's, you know, just want to fight somebody who, see how he feels at that new weight class, work on a few things, you know, you got that going on. Also, Lara could be looking at it from this perspective. Car- Lara is from Cuba, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I remember back in the day, Joe Casai Moore, who was, um, who defected and ended up moving over here, one of the top um, super featherweights, junior lightweights, um, I would say of all time, really, once I came over here. But anyway. I remember him telling the story about when he was in Cuba he said that when he decided to defect over here is because they wouldn't let him turn pro and he was like one of the most decorated amateurs in Cuban history right and so he said once he won that gold medal and they wouldn't let him leave all they did for him is they gave him a pig and they gave him a bike and he said the bike he gave to like a kid and then a pig they roasted it for his neighborhood And so from that time forward, it's like man I got to get that up out of here so that's why he defected so i could see how a person like Laura, once he's over here now at this particular juncture of his career he wants to you know milk it out as much as he possibly can until he can get one of those big guys or um larger name guys to face him you know what i mean so i could see how he's playing this out but i think in this fight um Laura may work on a few things at the new weight class, but at the end of the day, he's just going to outclass this guy. He has no business being in the ring with Aries I- Landolara, not the Aries Landolara that we know, you know what I mean? And so, it's just a matter of will he showcase that same hit-and-run style that he typically uh, use use, or will he use a different tactic, you know what I mean, um, against this guy because he's supremely superior to him in all facets of the game. Um, so, but at the end of the day, like I said, I just think that this is going to position himself to be able to get one of those bigger names um, in the future,
1: I'm just gonna say if Thomas Lemania wins this fight in any shape or form, he'll be fired a year and I'm putting his face everywhere. <laughs> if you haven't seen him, go, go. Uh, it's just interesting for guys like him to be in boxing.
0: Well, I'm telling you though, like, at his best, you know, before that he stepped up. Um, you know, it was a little bit of buzz about LaMana, you know, just for a hot second because, you know, at his best, and again against that caliber caliber of fighter that he was facing, that he was, you know, showcasing a nice jab and, you know, he appeared to have, you know, good solid counterpunching ability. It's just when he stepped up, you know, that hasn't really been the case.
2: One thing I'll add to what you said, Will, is that, well, one, that's a very, uh, thanks for that perspective you know, coming from coming from Cuba and what that was like. You know, being there and, and defecting. So, yeah, I could I could for sure see why you know why why Lara is cool with that, with you know where he is. Um, I just hope that for this fight, he he just has this tendency of like you you can tell by the way he fights sometimes that he just kind of doing it for himself. Like he doesn't have he doesn't always have that like that mindset of and I'm I'm saying this nicely, but he doesn't always have that mindset of like. I'm going to make this a fight that the fans want to see. I'm going to make this an entertaining fight. And so I hope that regardless of what happens, he is willing to make this a a, a fan-friendly fight. You know what I mean?
0: I was just going to say that that's really been a knock on him, like, in all of his fights, really.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, because I think hurt applied so much pressure that it forced him to, you know, sit there and, you know, um, exchange a little bit more than he typically does. Like throughout the course of his career, even in that fight against Canelo, it's like if he just had just a little bit more in him to sit there and put something on his opponent to solidify his victory, then, you know, you will have a lot more people riding out with Eric's 99. But it's just like I say, that hit and run style that he has is more so just to, you know, ensure not only that he gets the victory, but that he's not you know, taking that much punishment and so he can continue his fight career. And that doesn't bode well for a fan watching your fights. You know what I mean? You can see the, talents the talent that he has, but sometimes he just doesn't do nearly enough where you really are hyped up to see here is as Andy you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's about to fight, you know, and call people up and whatnot. But, We'll see. You know, I think that this is a fight where he can showcase his talent because, like I say, he's superior in all facets of the game against uh, Thomas Lamont.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I like when you come back to me because, like, I, I'll be trying to put it a certain way, <laughs> and then you come back to me and say what it is. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, on that day as well, on that zone card at 3 Eastern, uh, we got two heavyweights, Derek Chisora, It's uh, Friday. Joseph Parker. Um, how you guys seeing that one go?
0: Well, Chisora, he's uh, 37 years old, 6'1 1⁄2", 32-10 with 23 KOs. Out of the U.K., you got Joseph Parker, who's 28-2 with 21 knockouts. Um, I didn't write down his dimensions. But Chisor is coming off the loss to Alexander Usyk last Halloween. And then Parker's coming off that snoof, that's victory over probably, I would say, his relative, uh, Jr. fight Um, <laughs> last year, Jasor, he definitely, like, this fight, he definitely can win. But a lot of times when I take a look at Jasor, he's just sometimes, like, when he fights guys the caliber of a Joseph Parker, he's just too one dimensional. Um, because really what he's trying to do he's trying to win a fight just using brute force and power and then he's just gonna lumber forward you know and eating counters you know what i mean so to me this fight and then really his so he'll do that he'll lumber forward and then you know eat some leather and then he'll end up grappling and holding his opponent to me that's gonna fall right into joseph parker's hands because what joseph parker's gonna do is he's gonna fight from the outside and then once his opponent gets closed, then he's going to get the hug in his opponent. So I just think the likely outcome is that Park is going to be boxing from outside. And then when Chisora gets close, he's just going to wrap him up. So it's just going to be that type of fight. And I would suspect in that scenario, if it plays out like that, I think that Park is going to win probably an eight to four type unanimous decision.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Will. I think Chisora is, is – is, is... More a brawler, and I think he in this fight with Joseph Parker, I think he just has a puncher's chance. Uh, I, th- I think even though the, they're not too many levels apart, I think Joseph Parker is just a from a style standpoint, he's just a better boxer, and I think he's gonna, you know, outbox Chisora. You know, uh, I can see Parker hurting him too, you know, late. But with Chisora is hard to tell. It's almost like we'll know when he gets in the ring. <laughs> So uh, it'll be an interesting fight. I I'll, I'll look forward to it. Just check it out. So, I have no other thoughts on that. And also next week, uh, we have heavyweight action. Three people yeah, versus uh, Craig Richardson. Uh, how you guys uh, see this fight uh, going?
2: Yeah, so that's going to be on the same card, uh, on that same zone card. Uh Biffle coming into it. Uh he's 30 years old, 17-0 with 11 knockouts, uh six foot, six foot tall. Um, this is gonna be his first fight uh since his unanimous decision win over Lennon Castillo in October of 2019. And then you have uh Craig Richards, who is 16 one and one. Um, you know, he has nine knockouts, he's six foot one. He last beat Shaquan Pitters in December of last year, so he's been, you know, he's been more or less active. But I, I just call it spade a spade, right? So, Bivol hasn't fought and since, since uh 2019, and so he's looking to to get back active again. And so, you know, he's on this card is is him, and then you know before before the main event is Katie Taylor and Natasha Jonas. But for this, this is. um this is for his WBA light heavyweight belt. And looking at Richard's pedigree, um, he just, you know, I, I don't recognize anybody that he's fought. he he, you know, their, their records are, for the most part, solid. But, um, you know, I just don't see the pedigree. And I, I think this is more or less a fight done by his management to get him back active. And, and I, I would like to think that this is going to prepare him for a unification fight or for a bigger name, light like heavyweight title fight. Um now that we're starting to get the crowds back in the arenas and things of that nature. So, you know, with that said, I think he's gonna win a pretty handy uh I, I could see him it, it, I think the fight's gonna go how he wants it to go. If he wants to get his rounds in, I think he's gonna win a damn decision. If he wants to if he wants to get the knockout, or even if he wants to get the rounds in and it happens to, to land that punch, uh I can see him getting the knockout. But I think he just wants to get back in the ring, and, and set himself up for you know for the future, because uh, he he does I you know I do believe he has a bright future. Um, he's already proven himself to be an elite like heavyweight, and so um, I'm just taking this fight for what it is, and uh, there's just the times that we're in right now in terms of I wouldn't say the post COVID, but in terms of uh, coming back to some sort of boxing normalcy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, totally. I mean, that's, that's all it is, right? You know, he's been off, you know, Bivel, the Russian. You know, Bivel has some very impressive victories um, over Joe Smith, John Pascal, Isaac Chalimba. He knocked out Sullivan Brewer in the 12th round. And he almost stopped Joe Smith, you know. Um, as you mentioned, Richard's last fight against Shekin Pitters. I checked that fight out where he got the ninth round stop. to claim um, some type of European title. So that was an impressive victory on his part, but it's just levels to it. I remember Pernell Sweet Pete Whitaker, he was like fawning over on Bill He was like, That right that guy right there has, you know, the skill. You know, all he gotta do is just keep improving. And so if you're getting, you know, comments like that from one of the most superior boxers of all time who doesn't just hand out compliments to people. You know, that says a lot for Dimitri Bibble. To me, when I look at Bibble, He has a a, a real unique style. He has those subtle counters. He has a quick in and out, takes nice angles, has really good timing, excellent punch selection, and the punches that he throws, he throws them with precision. He has the total package. And hopefully, um, you know, like I said, the likely outcome is just going to be him boxing uh, Richard's ears up because I just don't think – I just think it's just a huge gap, (laughs) you know what I mean, as far as the talent between these two guys. Um, and he'll either, I don't even think he's going to cruise through decision. And I think he, this will be a stoppage, but I also think it's going to propel him into a fight with somebody like Better If That's the fight that we all want to see, and I think that this could catapult him into that unification matchup that we all want to see.
1: Yeah, I agree with, with what you guys said. I don't have too much to add. Um, of course, we all want to see Bivo versus Bitterbeef. Yeah, uh, personally i would, i would want i would like him to, have to probably take one more fight before a bitter B just to get prepared you know the the better his chances cuz um you know bitter bee that's a i think as a boxing fan as someone who likes boxing action that's a super fight for me and probably for us you know to watch something like that so um i, I want him to fight in the next few months just to say a hey, hey, look so if when I fight Bender B, whatever happens, there there will not be any excuses. Um, but what this fight in particular, of course, i I don't I think it is levels to this. I think Bibo is just uh, has too much pedigree. I mean, he I mean, he's good in, in a lot of different ways. And, um, I think the only ones who can can well the, the only ones that can that can really challenge him is probably the the cream of the crop at one sixty eight, which is you know, has a lot going for it, so um, not too much to add there. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, light heavyweight, so not too much to add there.
0: But, you know, um, he really is in a unique situation because he can make 168. You know, he right. always stated that he could go mm-hmm. down and, you know, get one of those belts down there, it's just whoever wants it. But I, where I would push back on what you said was I think it's, it's the opposite. I think that this is the perfect time to go against somebody like better be especially based on his last outing to me he didn't look impressive at all he looked very slow he looked very vulnerable and so i would try to fast track into getting better Be in a ring now um but either way it's going to be beneficial for bill because he has time on his side so if, even if he decided to wait a fight or two after this and face Better Biff, then that's going to be at the detriment of better BF be because he's 35. So by the time they make it to a fight, he'll be 36, 37 years old, and that's not um, somewhere where you want to be. That's not the direction that you want to be going when you face somebody that's in a prime, you know, with all of the talent and skill that better BF be possesses. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap things up?
1: No sir. Uh, no sir. Well, just uh, shout out to Ryan Garcia, whatever he's going through. Um, just shout out to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For sure.
0: So up, no, to help. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a guy in the gym this week, and we were rattling off about, you know, he's a boxing fan, but you know, he don't be all, all the way up on who's gonna fight when. And so he was like, "Who's gonna tank fight?" And I said, "You know, tank. He got Mario Barrios. Um, you know, Tiafoe." He got Cambosas. And then at the time, Ryan was going to fight Fortuna. And I was like, Haney, you know, he got a tough one on his hand against um, Lenaris. And so, but then we were talking about, like, all of those dudes are right there. For you, you know? This is a perfect opportunity for them to get it on. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they can have those fights, have rematches, have trilogies all in house, like with them, you know. And I was thinking, and I was saying that, you know, with the caliber of fighter that some of those guys are facing, it's a, good chance that some of those guys might end up getting defeated before we even get the fights that we want to see, which is going to take away the luster of the fights in the first place. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. but you know, with Ryan Garcia, you know, with this situation, he's going through, you know, um, all you can do is wish the best for the young man. Hopefully he gets that, whatever he's going through under control. And if he decides to come back and lace him up, you know, he'll have my support. If he decides to walk away from the sport, and, you know, he had my support in that area, too. But the main thing is get that under control. And I'm glad that he's identified that he has a certain issue that needs to be um, addressed. And so that's the first step in order to get to yourself better. But on that note, um, if there's nothing else, man, wrap things up, I'm going to tell you already, be on the lookout on YouTube because I'm piecing up different videos. So they just haven't been released. So just be on the lookout for that this week. Catch us on all our social media handles. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you comment. And uh, most importantly, enjoy your Monday. Peace.
2: Peace.